This is the Truth About Investing Back to Basics podcast, where we want to help you take control of your personal finance and long-term investments. If you're looking for a way to learn the why and how of investing, then you've found the right place. Thank you for taking the time to learn how to better yourselves. So you've, you've got a game plan. We've, we've, <laughs> I was going to say we've got a game plan, but really it's, it's all, it's all you. you've, you've got a game plan. I don't even want to know what's happening and we'll, we'll slowly ease into it. Hey, actually <laughs> first, uh, yep. did you, did you hear about the, uh, uh, that Mexican train bomber? No. He had locomotives. I should have known. I was watching that one. Should have, should have anticipated. I decided to start looking up. Did you hear jokes? Because they, I, I, I like those. They, they make me go. Like, uh, did you hear about the McDonald's? I was trying to get into the high end of the steakhouse market. It was a big mistake. <laughs> yes, it would be. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, okay. Uh, this one is also. Okay, I got a, I got a different list here. Let me look. Dad jokes to make you cringe. Oh, that's my that's my wheelhouse. That's your specialty, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm that's what <clears throat> I'm all about. Uh, <laughs> actually, that's funny. I've deleted <laughs> I've deleted the numbers from all the Germans I know from my mobile phone. Now it's Hans free. Um, the uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another episode of the Truth About Investing Back to Basics. My name is Chris Holling, and I'm Sean Cooper. And today we are going to talk about something that I told Sean to not tell me what it is that we're talking about. It's it's all genuine. It's all all organic responses happening today which is totally different than every other time that i have no idea what we're talking about so so tell me (laughs) sean what what are we talking about today whole life insurance Ooh, that was that was the the crowd going (laughs) (laughs) Mm, i'm gonna go with the the crowd went uh (laughs) (laughs) well yeah with that attitude of course okay i will say our first uh, insurance conversation was far more enjoyable than most any other insurance conversation ever. And, and as I said on the last one, uh, oh ye of little faith. Indeed. Actually, I think that's what I said. I don't know. We had a we had a decent time with with term insurance, but this this is the the other the other side to the coin, right? Ish that we're looking at term insurance versus whole life. That's how I've always known it. Is like the 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 big two of life insurance is term and whole. Is that true? Yeah, basically. Okay, cool. Well, uh, what I I'm not I'm not even gonna guess this time because I imagine no, we'll just... you're not gonna humor everybody with that enjoyable. <sighs> so uh, I think that <laughs> whole life insurance is a uh, an amount that you pay that you once you pay that amount then you have coverage life insurance coverage for your whole life and then and then that's it yep that's what i got okay if you're talking about paid up insurance and yet whole life then yes dang it there's different versions of this 
I thought yeah, it was no, just like you just pay, you, here. Give me no, your, your people, life is worth this much. <laughs> pay no. me money, <laughs> and and that's that's not it. No, most people will pay a monthly premium like any other insurance, as well, opposed to one lump sum. Sure, maybe because you don't tend to have that lump sum available, but you're you're doing it to get to a goal of paying a certain amount in total, whether it's a payment plan or a lump sum. And and then and then once you hit it, then you're you're good. And if you don't hit it, then I imagine you have up to that amount available or something something goofy like that. But it's not a term. It's not a set term of time that you have the coverage is the goal, right? Right. It covers you for your entire life. Sweet. See, I know stuff. That's uh, thanks. This has been the truth about investing. Back to basics. My- <laughs> well, okay. Tell me, tell me what I, I like. I have a super dumbed down version of that, but I'm positive I'm missing stuff. So tell me what it is that I'm missing, um, Sean. <laughs> Sorry. I also just started drinking too, because why not? You know. What time is it there? I guess. Noon. All right. All right. <laughs> Means it's not 11 in the morning. It's not morning anymore, so it's fine. Yeah, it's almost one there, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not yeah I'm like 45 minutes late is what I... <laughs> 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 no, it just sounded good. Whatever. Sean, what am I missing? That That's the biggest thing is that whole life insurance covers you for your whole life, your entire mm. life. That is, that is its primary purpose. Okay. Uh, the other big thing that uh, people will know is that it has the ability to build up a cash value. Um, well, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to let you expand on that. Ultimately, I just how do I put this? If if I was going to ask you a big question of the day, and you might already have plans to address this, but if I was going to ask you a big question, I would ask you why I've come across so many. I can't even say so many. Why have I come across people that are wealthy that swear by whole life insurance? And I imagine that's kind of what you were alluding to. And then I made a noise that made you stop. So I had to interrupt you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it has to do with that cash value. It also has to do with the taxability of it. Um, Okay. They're most likely using it for uh, if they do want the money, they're, they're taking loans out of the policy. Uh, which alone is not going to be taxable, uh, although there's also no tax advantage to paying it back for obvious reasons. Um, the other side of it is insurance proceeds are not going to be taxable to the beneficiaries either, so it's a good way of transferring wealth ultimately. Okay. Uh, so it, it's really the combination of those two, that cash value and then the, the tax uh, benefits of it that they are looking for ultimately whether or not it is uh, more beneficial than many alternatives would require crunching the numbers um in regards to like transferring wealth or correct okay yeah and so uh, i guess i imagine uh when when you're talking about transferring wealth it's it's from one generation to the next sort of the old money term is that mm-hmm. is that right okay Correct, yeah. And that's because of the cash value of it? No, that, that part has nothing to do with the cash value. Okay. That has to do with the actual um, uh, benefits. Uh, so, I mean, the cash value will go into that too, but ultimately it's the um, the death benefit that 
really lends itself towards the transfer of wealth. But And how does that transfer happen? Does that mean that the policy transfers or you're just saying that it's more likely to get paid out because it covers your whole life versus a, a term that you might lapse? Well, I mean, it's provided you don't the policy doesn't lapse can provided you continue to pay the premium then right. by by definition home whole life is guaranteed to be paid out eventually okay um in fact whole life insurance uh i mean i say covered for your whole life but ultimately most whole life policies have some kind of um oh i can't remember the name of it um uh, maturity date in which they basically just pay out the benefit and call it a day. Oh, right. I have heard of that. Okay. Yeah. That's Is typically that a- around age 100, though. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. Jeez. Uh, I, was, I was thinking they would have said like 80 or something. That's... No, 100. no, no. It, it's designed okay. to be... It's designed to be insurance as opposed to uh, a benefit to you, the insured. So, you know, it, it, it's not meant to pay out to the the insured but to the beneficiaries of the insured so how old is warren buffett now he's not a hundred uh i don't know but he's old. old he is but he's, <laughs> i'm pretty sure he's not a hundred i'm calling you out buffett i think you're old i really I, I just i just <laughs> i don't like know to what he to has guy. to do with this conversation but sure nothing i just i just assume he has whole life insurance i, <clears throat> I don't actually know he might swear against it for all mm. i know i just it wouldn't surprise me if he does, but the bulk of his wealth is in investments directly. Uh-oh. 91. There you go. <clears throat> A net worth of 104.9 billion. Good for you. Jeez. I digress. Sorry. I actually saw an article recently that his uh, average annualized rate of return isn't really that much different than the market. But the reason his wealth has grown so much is because he started so much earlier than the average person and has continued investing so much longer than the average person. When you when you say earlier, are you saying like he started in the market when he was like 12? No, he was like, I think, 15. Oh. <laughs> I was not that smart at 15. Okay, fair enough. So then it's it's guaranteed to pay out at some point, which is the point of whole life but you are still paying a premium you have to keep up with the premium and if you don't keep up the premium then you don't get the benefit uh and if i remember correctly from some conversation we've had the whole life is also usually more expensive premium wise like per Correct. month is it significantly like yes double triple quadruple sept sept septuple is that yeah that's seven i think <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the exact amount, but it is significant. Okay. For it, similar levels of coverage, it's going to be significantly different. Um, more than double or triple, I'm pretty sure. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, uh, because A, you're you're covering your entire life, not a set period in which you're most likely not actually going to make a claim. Um, okay. So it's guaranteed to be paid out at some point as opposed to the you know less than 3%, possibly 0.5%. Um, claims on the term life policies. Right. Uh, additionally, you have the cash value, so a chunk of your premium is going into that, so you're going to be paying more for that. And then it has so many ad- other additional features, uh, potentially, that just the administrative costs are going to be higher as well. So 
yeah, you're talking about quite a bit more expensive. Okay. Um, so I, how do I... If you are looking at that, let's just let's just take me as an example because we're because we can. So, for me, when I know that I have life insurance because of my job, and we, we talked about that in term life insurance, right? Um, I I unavoidably have some form of life insurance because of the the risks that that are part of my job, and I well because the company provides it, right? And the company provides it. If given the option, would it behoove me? to get more involved in a whole life avenue because there might be more of a cash value to it or would it not because then I like let's say I work for 20 years and then I decide it's time to retire but then I'm not as worried about whole life or you know I've had the term this whole time or something like that does that cash value not carry over if I stop paying the premium is there any reason why I should prefer the whole life during this arguably more risky time of my life and career was that too many words (laughs) Uh, well you're asking a lot of different questions there and we haven't really fully covered whole life insurance yet um so you're getting into when it makes sense versus when it doesn't um for generally speaking whole life tends to make the most sense for people who have already capped out their other tax advantaged investing accounts and are looking for an additional tax advantage means of, uh, well, I say investing, but really for for transferring wealth. Um, It it tends to make the most sense for, for people who have already capped those other avenues out and have very large cash flows, and I can explain why that is. Uh, later, the the one other time that it tends to make sense is like we talked about, uh, which is also an option with term insurance, is for um, a key employee or um, uh, what's the word for it? Um, uh, like a buy sell agreement, that those sorts of things. So so business for business partners. Okay. For individuals, uh, for what you're talking about, no, typically not. Now okay, so I, I, that's not always the case, but typically no. So just so I have like a a visual in my head, kind of a I don't know a, a, a diagram, an example. Uh, who would be? I, I don't know that ideal is the right word, but the most likely candidate to try and utilize those tax advantages like you're talking about. Some Someone that has exhausted those things is likely to be a person that blank. Yeah, you've already capped out all of your retirement accounts. Okay. Like, you're, like you've maxed out the contribution to your Roth IRAs and... Like those, those contributions, 403Bs, whatever options you have available to you. Yes, you've already capped all of those out, and then you have a significant cash flow available to you on top of that. Okay. Okay. And then this is just a new avenue to start to exercise at that point. Correct. Whereas you're saying that it, you know, we, we can't say that it's wrong, <laughs> uh, but to somebody that's newer into getting involved in investing, uh, going down a whole life route would not, is not something that you should necessarily consider to be your first avenue. Is that fair to say? Yeah, not typically. Okay. 
that's what I was getting at, I guess. I actually don't know what I was getting at. I'm trying to sort through it, sort through the weeds in my head. Well, why don't we back up a little bit and j- okay. cover the re- cover whole life in a more complete manner, sure. and then we'll kind of jump into yeah you know, why why that might be. So you know we we talked about the benefits, some of the benefits. Uh, well, first off, the biggest disadvantage is the cost. That is the biggest disadvantage to whole life insurance. It's expensive. Yeah. Um, the advantages number one lifetime coverage pretty straightforward uh, as, as opposed to term insurance that only covers a specific term this covers your entire life uh, the number two is that cash value so a portion of your premiums that you're paying goes into a cash value that can then either participate in the growth of the company or is invested in the market so it can grow and then you have some flexibility with what you can do with that down the road typically people use it as a uh, kind of a usable fund. They You can take a loan from the policy. So you accumulate a certain cash value. You take a loan from the policy, say to buy, put, a, put a down payment on a house or uh, pay for a kid's college, and then you pay it back over time. Um, the advantage being is you, you take that money out and there's no tax consequence for doing so, provided you eventually pay the loan back. Which also to touch on just just to piggyback on you for a second for those that <laughs> that are listening and paying attention to it the this is not the only avenue I, I think this is kind of what you're alluding to that this is not the only tax advantageous option to do something like that because i utilize that for my 457s as well my uh my 457b is a is a deferred comp tax type uh, retirement account that i was also able to loan against myself and not have taxes work against me here uh i just wanted to point that out that like that that sounds like a good option to have uh but there are also other accounts that also offer this option right yeah so loans in general you're not going to have any tax consequences for taking out a loan now in the two examples we've talked about you're technically paying the interest back to yourself either your retirement account or your uh, insurance policy as opposed to paying a bank um, either way, you have to evaluate the um, benefits, the, the tax benefits relative to the cost of actually going any of these routes. So, <clears throat> you know, when you pay back the, uh, if you actually take a loan from a bank, for example, there may be tax ad- advantages as you're paying that back, whereas there's no uh, tax advantage when you're paying yourself back per se, uh, just the tax advantage of not having a tax on the loan for taking your own money out. Right. Yeah. And that, so. I mean that's just just for like personal examples because I I think that it helps me retain stuff when I have a personal example. That's something that's been happening with me is that uh, I took out a loan against myself on this 457. And then uh, the way that they've utilized it, and I don't know if I've told you this actually, but the way that they're utilizing it is that the same amount that was in my account, they're treating it as though I still have that amount. And so that amount that is being utilized in the market to continue to grow still exists. I'm just paying back to that amount at that point. They, I didn't, I didn't gotcha. drop it in value at that point where you know, it went down to about half. I took about half of what was in my account, but they're still using it as if I had the full amount in my account in the market to continue to let compound interest grow uh, at that point. Um, Gotcha. So, yeah. Yep. 
there's there's the personal example for you yeah um so you know we we talked about one of the other advantages the ability to withdraw that cash value and then the another would be flexible premiums so with uh, term insurance typically your premiums are set there's really no flexibility in terms of uh, increasing those or decreasing those depending on the type of whole life insurance you have you may be able to uh, change your premiums over time um you know a term does have some riders that you can tack on that would make uh, certain circumstances where you wouldn't have to pay a premium. But with whole life insurance, you have typically have a lot more flexibility in terms of changing that value, which could impact uh, or change your, your death benefit um, or your cash value. Or once your cash value reaches a certain uh, level, it can essentially be self-sustaining and actually pay itself, which is kind of what people... Uh, many people strive for or what the is thrown out there as a sales pitch so you actually use the cash value to pay the premiums uh, obviously that doesn't help the cash value continue to grow as much as it otherwise would but uh, it, it makes it so that you are no longer having to dump into the policy it's covering itself essentially is the idea yeah. Okay. That makes sense. When <clears throat> when you're adjusting that premium, or you choose to adjust that premium, does that also adjust your your ultimate payout? Or are you saying, hey, I just like to pay more to get to that point, or pay less to have a lower end result? Or potentially, yes. Yeah. So as your <clears throat> if you're actually changing your premium, like the total amount being paid to the insurance company. Typically, that is going to change your death benefit. Now, if you're actually using the cash value to pay the premium, the premium that's being paid to the company hasn't really changed. It's just changed where it's coming from. So that's probably not going to impact your death benefit. With that said, the cash value of the policy will, as it grows or shrinks, potentially change your death benefit because if it reaches certain thresholds, it can actually cause the policy to mech, which also can happen based on the uh, payments that you're making so and we can talk about that here in a little bit okay that makes sense so th- those are the big advantages so lifetime coverage uh, growth of cash value ability to withdraw the cash value and flexible premiums with term insurance there is no cash value there's no uh, th- there's nothing there that you can take out you can't say hey i want to just close out my policy and take this money or i want to take a loan from it anything like that it's just if you died, then your beneficiaries get something, whereas whole life insurance, there is actually a value that builds up over time. Gotcha. Okay. So those are the advantages. Now, some of the things to look out for, uh, aside from the whole co- uh, the high cost, you definitely want to look at that. The other thing is you really want to be skeptical if uh, the presentation is painting too pretty a picture of the cash value benefits. Okay. And what I mean by that is a couple of things. First off, uh, just from a, a practical perspective, if you have a whole life insurance policy, and this goes back to your idea of you know uh, someone just starting out and starting with whole life as opposed to starting with investing or term insurance or something like that, if you're paying the minimum premium on a whole life insurance policy because that premium is flexible. You can typically actually put more in than is required of you. If you're mm-hmm. paying the minimum that's required, then 
in the early stages, around 90% of your pay, uh, payment is just covering premiums and only about 10% is going to cash value. Dang. Okay. Yeah. So, and early stages, it's even worse than that, but it, and it does gradually shift very gradually over time the other way so that more and more of your uh, payment is going into cash value as opposed to just paying premium. But early stages, you're putting pennies into that cash value relative to the money you're actually putting in. Right. Okay. That so, makes sense. Yeah. So if for someone who's just like, hey, I need X amount of coverage and they're just going to pay the minimum premium, that cash value is going to be absolute minimum. And essentially what they're doing is just creating very, very expensive uh, permanent term insurance for themselves. Okay. Um, so like I said, that, that, that ratio does improve over time, but it is slow. Uh, but for that reason, and this kind of sounds counterintuitive, that's why you actually want to fund the policy with as much as you basically can relative to the, um, the premium without causing it to mech. Now, mech is a modified endowment contract. If you cause your policy to mech, it loses all of its all of the tax benefits of life insurance. So you really want to avoid that. Um, put it put another way, you basically want to purchase the smallest death benefit that you can afford relative to the premium you're going to be paying. To whole life specifically. Correct. Right. Okay. Because you want as much of what you're paying to go to cash value as possible. You want that ratio to be skewed towards the cash value, not skewed towards the, the insurance premium. And that smaller amount that you're referring to that would be the contribution is because the uh, amount is so high, the, the amount that does not go to essentially the principal of it is so high is why you want to do that and then and then get to that point later where you fund it. Is that what you're saying? I'm not sure I follow you there. Okay, well then maybe I'm just completely lost. So what? I guess I guess touch on it a, a little bit. Uh, what? Why? Why do you do that smaller amount instead? You don't want to do the smaller amount. Oh, okay, that's where I got confused. Okay, I'm sorry. No, you want to you. put? You want a small? Uh, you want the smallest death benefit that you can afford. Smallest so death it, benefit. So if you know how much you can put into this policy on a month monthly basis, you want the smallest death benefit that you can af- af- afford without the without causing the policy to make. Because your payment, the split of your payment, a larger percentage of it is going to go into the cash value instead of just paying insurance premiums. So lining okay. the pocket of the insurance company. Okay. Sorry. I, I, I understood it as the smallest contribution. No. Right. Okay. No. I'm with you. No. You, you want the smallest percentage of your monthly payment in this scenario to be going as premium insurance, you know, actual payment to the insurance company. Because if you're – so if you try to get a larger death benefit, the largest death benefit you can afford – then a very, very tiny percentage of your monthly contribution is going to cash value and the bulk of it is going towards uh, insurance premium and basically lining the pocket of the insurance company. Wow. Okay. I can see that. Right. 
and now we're all we're also assuming here that your goal in purchasing whole life insurance is not just the insurance itself. Now, if your goal is the insurance itself, then you you want to target whatever insurance level you want. Um, but again, that you know you may also want to consider term insurance in that scenario as opposed to whole life insurance. And that's where why I was saying earlier it tends to be whole life insurance tends to be more favorable if you have uh, large cash flows and you're trying to create a tax advantage place to put those cash flows. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Again, this it, these are very, very broad strokes. Each individual needs to evaluate uh, what they're trying to achieve and then compare your various options. Because when, when we're talking about this from an in- investment standpoint, so y- you always want to compare and contrast all of your options. So if you're looking at whole life insurance from an investment standpoint, Obviously, your, some of your alternatives are going to be your retirement accounts, uh, non-qualified investment accounts, uh, any number of different things. So you're not just looking at it from an insurance standpoint. If you're looking at it from an investment standpoint, you have to compare your alternatives. And that actually brings me to, but that's why we we're talking about this from the standpoint of trying to maximize that uh, the the portion of your contribution that goes towards cash value as opposed to just premium. So y- you basically want as much extra funds, much of the extra funds that you put in above and beyond the minimum premium. Premium, you want it to fund the cash value of the policy as opposed to just covering the premium. Um, Right. Yeah, because basically whatever your death benefit, however your death, whatever death benefit you choose, that's going to ultimately determine what your premium is, what the portion is that's going to go to uh, the in, just paying the insurance. So if you pick a larger death benefit, then you have to, by, by definition, you're going to have to pay a larger amount into the insurance premium itself that is not going to go to your cash value. Which is why you actually the the smaller death benefit is going to increase the amount of your contribution that goes to cash value instead of just insurance premium. Okay. Okay. So uh, yeah, I think that makes sense. Cool. Um, But that also brings me to the second uh, point in which you want to be a little bit skeptical and really. Uh, think through this process because as you're comparing your your various options, you know other types of investment vehicles. Um, a lot of the insurance quotes that I've seen show returns in the neighborhood of eight to twelve percent on the cash value. Right. So if you're looking at returns of eight to twelve percent, first off, you got to keep in mind that 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 8 to 12% is only on the cash value. So it's only on that that percentage of your payment that is actually going towards cash value. Oh, and not the total contribution. Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah, the total contribution is irrelevant. It's only what the portion that went into cash value that actually is going to grow. Wow. Okay. The yeah, rest I'd... just went towards in, uh, insurance premium. And that's what I was talking about, that division. 
Yeah, I I wouldn't have expected that. I'm sure I would have. I would have been another sucker. Okay, yeah. But the other side of that is if they're showing an illustration that's showing returns of 8 to 12%, you've got two, two different types of uh, whole life insurance uh, companies. First off, uh, one is uh, you, the company pays dividends on the cash value. The other is, so that I, I can't remember the phrase, I think that's a participating company uh, where you are... Yeah, a penny saved is worth two in the bush. Is that the no, phrase? No, 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 no. <laughs> ba- basically, you as an insurance holder are technically an owner of the company, so you participate in dividends of the company, and that's how your cash value grows. The other, you actually participate in the market, so your 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 money is actually invested in the market. Okay. So that that eight to twelve percent return that we're talking about has to be derived from one of those, either the dividends from the company or the growth of the the market. So. If that is coming from the dividends of the company, you would need to basically, the company would have to be growing at a rate to sustain those dividends. So if you look back at uh, just the S&P 500 to represent the the broad domestic market, you're looking at roughly 9%. So uh, depending on the time period that you evaluate uh, average annualized rate of return, I think, over the last like 74 years is like 9.16% or something like that. If you take out the last few years that have been really strong growth, then you're, it, it drops down to like 8.91. Either way, right around 9%. So if the illustration is showing 8 to 12%, then unless they're at that 8% mark, you know, if they're over 9%, they're assuming that either A, the company itself can outpace the market, or B, somehow their investments can outpace the market, the general market. Right. If they're assuming that the, the company itself can outpace the market, we're talking about the company being able to outpace the market for an extended period of time. If we're talking about a whole life insurance policy, we're talking about your lifetime, however long that may be. That's a very potentially a very long time for a, an individual company to out, outpace the market. So if we look at it from the standpoint of, you know, if they're if they're showing you a twelve percent annualized rate of return, they're going to outpercent outpace the market by three percent for say the next fifty years, then they would have to increase their total uh, market share, their their total percentage of the market that their company represents by three hundred percent. Jeez. Okay. Right. So just statistically speaking, I'm pretty sure uh, the odds are that the insurance company is more likely to go bankrupt than they are to achieve that rate of growth over that <laughs> period of time. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a bad statistic. Okay. Yeah, right. I get that. So just on the face of it, you, you want to think critically about what you're being shown. So a 12% rate of return over an extended period of time from a historical standpoint, the general returns on the market doesn't make sense. Additionally, we're only talking about a portion of what you're contributing that is actually going to see that rate of growth, whatever it is. So even if we, you know, go back and say, you know, insurance companies had some great growth over, uh, you know, in the 1980s, 90s, uh, 
early 2000s, what have you, strictly from a demographic standpoint, they're eventually going to face some issues. So we we haven't talked about Social Security yet, but we will in the future. And essentially the same issues that Social Security is facing now that started in 2018 and are only going to get worse over the next couple decades, Mm -hmm. life insurance is going to face those exact same demographic issues in the next decade or so. Okay. I can see that. Basically, you have the, the baby boomer generation, a very large generation that has thrown the whole concept of Social Security for a loop. Basically, they relied on an expanding workforce, an ever-increasing population of people paying into the system to cover the people that are getting paid from the system. Okay. Insurance is going to see the same thing, premiums versus benefits paid out, especially on whole life, because eventually they're all going to pay out because you have a smaller pool, uh, smaller generations that are paying in over time versus the pool that is going to be paid out, relatively speaking. Right. So just from that's just from a demographic standpoint. Uh, Additionally, the younger generations have shown a propensity for being less keen on buying insurance than some of the older generations. So not only are they a smaller demographic, relatively speaking, but they're less prone to buying insurance in the first place. And you see this when you look at insurance companies' uh, income statements, the the profit margins, you know, premiums paid versus uh, benefits paid out is shrinking. Why do you think that is? Like, is that... I mean, oh, why they aren't, why they're less likely to buy insurance or the demographics? Uh, why, why do you think the demographic, the the younger generation, so to speak, is less interested in insurance in the first place? Uh, that is a great question. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I actually have a good answer for that. I mean, okay. I can. That's fair. I just, I have no idea. So I thought take I'd a ask. shot in the dark. But I, I'd say. A portion of it is the uh, many of the younger generation tends to be uh, slower to take on many of the uh, roles. Uh, you know, they're they've they're getting married later, they're buying houses later. Mm, okay. um, so any of these um, factors are just kind of delayed, if you will. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. So I would probably put whole life life insurance in general in a similar pool with that. So, but the my point of this is that even if these insurance companies could have generated twelve percent annualized rates of return over the last over you know a two decade span, the odds of them being able to do it in the future are are not good in my opinion. So just be skeptical if you're shown really rosy return figures, whether they're having you participate in the market or dividends of the company. Either way, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. In my opinion, your best case scenario is market-like returns, and that's only on the percent, the portion of the your payments that are actually going to cash value. The other is going just to cover your insurance premium and is not money that you get to keep. It's not money that's invested. It's not money you'll ever see again, except 
your beneficiaries eventually will get a chunk of it when you pass away. Yeah. Does okay. that make sense? Me, so, yeah, I think so. Um, a lot of these insurance uh, quotes, they'll show uh, basically your cash value reaching a point that equals the premiums you've paid in in 7 to 15 years. And that 7 years time frame is assuming those really high rates of return. So Okay. You know, 15 Yes, 15 is probably more likely, but that gives you an idea of, you know, that's your your break even point. At that point, everything you've paid in is now sitting back in your your cash value. So from strictly from that standpoint, anything shorter than that, your, you know, an investment itself, not accounting for taxes, is most likely to be ahead. But uh, that's not guaranteed because, you know, the market could have lost value in that time, all sorts of different factors to take in. But that's your, your break-even point in terms of just money in versus money out, not counting interest. Uh, Or rather, they're assuming you've earned interest, but you would have just gotten out what you put in, so you would have earned nothing. Gotcha. That makes sense, yeah. So those those are the big drawbacks, in my opinion. The cost and just illustrations and sales pitches that are misleading in my opinion opinion sure uh so things to to watch out for and i'm not saying that you shouldn't purchase insurance by any means Uh, it's simply to say proceed with caution right it's it's no different than anything we say on here where it's just know know what you're getting into know what you're know what it's about know what's important to you make a choice exactly this is no different yeah We've talked about alternative investments. There are risks associated with those. Those There are lockup periods. There are all sorts of things to be aware of uh, with like hedge funds and things of that nature. So you want to know what you're getting into. Right. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So getting back to what Chris was asking about earlier, when when does it uh, make sense? Um, And one of those places tends to be for business partners and key employees, buy-sell agreements, things of that nature. So with key employee insurance, you're basically saying, okay, if we lose this employee, it's going to have a negative impact on our overall profitability, our bottom line, our ability to continue to function. So we're going to have insurance on them so that uh, if they were to pass away, then we get a big payout to try to offset some of the losses that we're likely to experience from an operational standpoint. Um, Buy-sell agreement, uh, that's more or less just to cover the the cost of buying out a partner that would pass away so that there's not a a need to generate a lump sum cash from the the surviving partners. Okay, I can see that. And then the last tends to be uh, people who have already maxed out contributions to retirement accounts, so they've already taken advantage of their their tax favorable investment options out there, and then they still have uh, large cash flows uh, that they can use to more effectively take advantage of the cash value of a whole life insurance policy, and really take advantage of the tax benefits of uh, the cash value and the death benefit proceeds. Okay. So, 
and like I said, that's just because you, you want that ratio, the, the percentage of your monthly payment or whatever payment frequency you're making, you want as large a percentage of it to be going to cash value as possible if you're looking at this from an investment standpoint. Which, to reiterate, is <clears throat> to hit on it at the lower end of the death benefit first and then to ease back further into the principal down the road if that's the route you're going to go. Right? And Well, I don't know what you're... In terms of principle? When you were talking about it earlier, you were saying uh, the, the lower end of the, the smaller death benefit approach yes. initially and then easing into a, a larger amount, whatever you think is appropriate, further down when you have a little bit more... Uh, contribution into the principal at that point. Well, you wouldn't necessarily be choosing to increase your contribution down the road and change the death benefit from that standpoint. Um, I mean, yes, you you could, depending on the type of insurance policy you're, you're talking about. But the, the real point is uh, you want, for the most part, you're shooting for, if you're looking at it from an investment standpoint, you're shooting for the smallest death benefit that you can afford. Right. So that the, the larger percentage of your, your contribution is going towards cash value. Now, your death, as your cash value increases, your death benefit may also change as a function of the policy intentionally trying to avoid it becoming a MEC, a modified endowment contract. But whether you choose to increase premiums or not is, you know, or payments or not is not necessarily a function of that. Okay, I, I guess I I was more just alluding to uh, changing changing the approach down the road as opposed to the the lighter end of the death benefit early on, if you choose right. to. Yeah, if you choose to change it down the road, you certainly can. You know, if you do have uh, you know greater cash flow, but um, again, the the whole policy is going to have to modify over time with you if that's the case because otherwise you will cause it to mech because what we're talking about is already basically maxing out uh, what it's capable of without causing it to mech gotcha okay so increasing premiums down the road without you'd basically have to increase the death benefit in order to do that okay sure I can see that yeah um the other thing is you may not hear this referred to as whole life insurance. Um, they might, you know, your insurance agent might call it something else. They might call it something more specific because whole life insurance actually encompasses uh, universal life, variable life, and variable universal life. So uh, ULV, VL, and VUL. Uh, okay. Universal I don't think life. I've ever heard of those. Okay. Uh, that's fair. Uh, universal life insurance is a version of whole life insurance that allows additional flexibility. So you can modify it. That's where you can actually modify the death benefit and the premiums over the course of the policy. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of some Just of the fluidly, stuff we were talking Is that what about. you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So basically you can say, okay, I need to, I'm going to reduce my premiums for a while death benefits automatically just kind of going to adjust to account for that, or I want to increase it, it's going to account for that as well. Gotcha. So it, it allows that flexibility of, okay, okay, my cash flow has changed, and that's what you were kind of talking about before. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yep. that totally makes sense. It's just a little bit more movement, a little more fluid in it. Correct, yeah. Cool. So the, okay. that's specifically referred to as universal life. 
um, within the whole life spectrum. Uh, variable life is uh, the version of whole life that allows the cash value to be invested in various funds rather than uh, receiving uh, a rate from the insurance company, so like a fixed rate from the insurance company or even a variable rate from the insurance company. So that's actually a variable life. So uh, the variable stems from the fact that the, uh, the cash value is variable. It varies with the value of the underlying funds that it's invested in, much like um, a variable annuity, which we'll talk about uh, in an upcoming episode. And then lastly, um, oh, so I, I should add the, the, the variable feature can cause that, that cash value and therefore the death benefit to fluctuate over time. And then lastly, variable universal life is basically a combination of the two. So you can not only vary the death benefit based on the premiums you're paying, so you can adjust your premiums, but the underlying cash value is going to change based on the market, so both of those factors can impact the death benefit. So uh, VUL is technically where you're going to see the most fluctuation potentially in your death benefit, but you also have the most flexibility in terms of uh, what you're paying in and <clears throat> um, what you're investing your cash value in. And when it's adjusting with the market like that, do you have any say in the adjusting or they just notify you or where, where does that fluctuation happen? Wait, wait, what do you mean? Uh, you were saying that like it, it varies the, the amount that you would receive from a death benefit or the amount that you're contributing and it, it's kind of due to the market. Does that, does it just happen? The market adjusts and so then the payments and the benefits adjust automatically or is that a, like a discussion that you have, so to speak? Well, so your pre your your premium payments are irrelevant to the the mark underlying market in that scenario. So um, th there's not a tie between the two. So if the market fluctuates, that changes your death benefit. That doesn't necessarily change what you have to pay in. Okay, I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, in terms of the market fluctuation, you have no say in the market fluctuation. If we did, we'd all tell the market just to do what we wanted to. Um, you you have a say in what you're invested in potentially, but in terms of how those investments do. It's based on whatever the market does. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> that was that was the bulk of it. I mean, to, to sum up, it, if we tie in last week and this week, then, you know, term insurance is a, a, a mean, insurance in general is a means of transferring risk. Typically, that's used on the, the term insurance side of it. Um, basically limit your liabilities for your that your survivors might face if you pass prematurely. Um, typically, that speaking on the term insurance side, y your goal is to buy the minimum that you need. Uh, there's, it's not often that you have cause to buy more than what you would need. Um, whole life insurance, on the other hand is more often viewed as an investment, as in a, a tax planning tool, uh, provided you understand all the features of the policy um, and think critically about the assumptions being made in the illustrations that you're being uh, provided and understand how the cash value works and how your premiums work and you know what all the benefits are to you. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's... You know, just like we were saying earlier, you know, when you're able to measure all those things and look at all of it, that's that's what's important. You know, figuring out what's what's important to you. Absolutely. Just, just unfolding it and approaching it as you need to, and I don't know. That's 
Yeah, that's pretty straightforward to me. Always evaluate all of your options and think critically about how your options relate to one another. If you know any of the options look too good to be true, they probably are. <laughs> yeah, like many things. Understood. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Well, what else? What else we got? That was it, man. That was. I think that was. I don't, I'm not not even sure we're on the uh, short end of our our goal here. So we're, we 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 did not meet <clears> the short <throat> end of this goal here. That's okay. We'll sort it out. We'll. Yeah. Uh, yeah fair enough. Okay. Well, that was that was very whole lifey. Uh, and then we're, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, that's a decent description. We've touched on our whole life stuff that attaches into the term life thing. We are going to extend out into some further understanding insurance that we're going to be going over. I believe annuities is what's going to be happening next. And, uh, we, it's, it's just, you know, more of a stack of stuff that I still don't know anything about, <laughs> which is, <laughs> we, we should probably just rename the podcast, like stuff Chris doesn't know <laughs> would probably, probably be a more apt way to name this is uh it makes sense uh, you know the basics of all the insurance stuff we've talked about so well, far only only because i'm i'm learning with you my my guided knowledgeable mathematic <laughs> one <laughs> whatever anyways i'm gonna close this before i keep saying stupid stuff thank you again for joining us on the truth about investing back to basics my name is chris holling and i'm sean cooper and we will catch you next time. Podcast disclaimer, disclaimer. The disclaimer following this disclaimer is the disclaimer that is required for this podcast to be up and running and fully functioning and moving forward. This is going to be the same disclaimer that you will hear in each one of our episodes. We hope you enjoy it just as much as we enjoyed making it. All content on this podcast and accompanying transcript is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein by Sean Cooper are solely those of Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, unless otherwise specifically cited. Chris Halling is not affiliated with Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, nor do the views expressed by Chris Halling represent the views of Fit Financial Consulting, LLC. This podcast is intended to be used in its entirety. Any other use beyond its author's intent, distribution, or copying of the contents of this podcast is strictly prohibited. Nothing in this podcast is intended as legal accounting or tax advice and is for informational purposes only. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. This podcast may reference links to websites for the convenience of our users. Our firm has no control over the accuracy or content of these other websites. Advisory services are offered through Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, an investment advisor firm registered in the states of Washington and Colorado. The presence of this podcast on the internet shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by our firm in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without our first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant an applicable state exemption. For information concerning the status or disciplinary history of a broker-dealer, investment advisor, or their representatives, the consumer should contact their state securities administrator. There you go. Why do crabs never give to charity? Because they're shellfish.
That was just cringe enough. Cool. Okay. We're on track. Uh, welcome. We're on track. <laughs> That's our determining factor. All right. <laughs> I didn't say it was the right track. It's just a track.